Welcome, guys, to the Cup of Nurses podcast with your hosts, Peter Fender and myself, Matt Slarczyk. This is a podcast where we tackle current health news and hot nursing topics one conversation at a time. If you find any value in this podcast, please give us a review, follow, and share. You have no idea how much that means to us, and it helps us rank better on the algorithms. More people see us organically, and what does that mean? Motivates us to keep on producing high-quality content. So thank you, guys. We're going to have a lot of cool things coming out. Of course, as always, we always make these announcements, but next week is episode 100, so we're going to do a special two-hour special, or hour and a half for the most part. We're going to go into our life story about like how everything started, about nursing, the pandemic, us as a podcast, what we have in store, and then we're going to talk about drama in the workplace. I'm actually really excited. Like We're going to dive in from like day one of why we became nurses to how was nursing school to how is it being a nurse prior to pandemic? How is Midwest nursing different from California nursing? Some drama because there's always drama in the workplace because with all these, you know, this female dominant field, it's always, it's interesting. And we actually got caught up in some drama ourselves mm-hmm. that happened because of social media. So I'm sure you guys are going to love to hear that story and how we kind of went through mm-hmm. it. Interesting. Shit's always going down. Yeah. And if you're wondering why, if you listen to us on Instagram or watch our stories and you're wondering why we haven't been posting anything at work? Well, that's exactly why. So you're going to have to stay tuned for episode 100 to know about that. A little teaser. And guys, remember, we still got the Patreon going. If you guys like what we do, we have more great things on Patreon and more great things with less censorship. We do nursing debriefments on our way home from work. So we talk about our shift on Patreon. And then we do these That Loud specials on Patreon as well. It's called That Loud. So if you guys are on there, check it out. Some more content and i like the that louds i almost like the that louds more than than these episodes yeah almost. it's fun because you get to just you're kind of doing whatever yeah. saying whatever you don't you know care kind of about oh you might offend somebody you're just kind of like going straight off the dome man it's fun yeah but on today's episode episode 99 this is a a another episode where we're going to talk a good amount about c19 how it is nursing during during covid how stressful it is, and just kind of our perspective and the things that, that we deal with because COVID is, is still around. It's even though the numbers are downtrending, there's still a lot of us for like for us to do. It's people are still very sick and we're still managing stress, high amounts of stress we're managing, and it's just it's still pretty bad, man. Like it's it's bad, like especially with you and your echoes and stuff. It's tough. It's still super tough. Yeah, this is the era of the COVID nineteen pandemic and the nurses are in this era and we have to survive. Nursing is hard, just like you say. Mm-hmm. And I miss those times where we kind of like chit-chatted with our patients, man. Like 90% of our patients plus, man, are intubated. Mm-hmm. There's no communication whatsoever. Like, the, you know, the slightest communication we get is maybe some following some commands and mm-hmm. that's really it. It's, yeah, but the, part of the hardest thing for me, well, not for me, just the hardest thing like in general, like the biggest change is definitely not allowing family in the hospital. That's probably the the biggest move that's been made so far. Yeah, changing dynamic. And at the beginning, I was I, I liked it. At the beginning, I was like, for sure, no family. I don't have to deal with with them as much. I won't have to deal with the with the drama because you know when there's family comes in, there's usually three or four of them, and they're not really sure what to do. Yeah. There's a lot of debate going on. They're you know sometimes they're really needy and they keep asking you questions and they're trying to figure it out, which is which I'm okay with answering and stuff. But sometimes it does get a little overwhelming. So it was nice to get that break. But now it's just like 
you don't think it's i don't feel like it's worth it so you so know? yeah i see your perspective so it's like at first it was awesome because family that dynamic of family not knowing what to make decisions it made work more stressful right dealing with family now yeah. we're not dealing with family as much but the care i feel like is different meaning it's different meaning Families not realizing how sick these patients are, how much they're actually suffering day in, day out. They don't they don't get to see them. And I feel like that's kind of prolonging care and it's prolonging suffering. Just seeing like, you know, COVID butt and all this damn stuff. It's like, yeah. It hits differently. There's only so much you can explain over the phone without them being able to see it. And even though you bust out the, the iPad and you, you know, show them their loved one, it's different. Like they're still not there in, in, in that present moment with, with their, their loved one and you don't get the same kind of energy, the same kind of feelings. And it's so short lived too. You can only have them be on iPad for so long. Yeah. Imagine instead of them hanging out in the room. Cause majority of the times, if someone is really sick, nice to you, someone usually spends the night or, you know, they, they go home at night and they come back in the morning and they're usually there throughout the whole day here. It's like nothing. Maybe you get like an hour, hour, maybe an hour, hour and a half, two hours of a FaceTime. And that's, that's basically all your contact to the loved one that's literally dying in that, in that bed. Yeah. I remember last week is the first time I FaceTimed a family member in over probably like three months. Mm. No, actually, two, three months, yeah. I usually It's usually a day shift thing. Usually day shift FaceTimes. I got the iPad for the family. They brought their own. I called them, and it's like, you know, I'm like, are you guys ready? And I flipped the screen, and then the patient's just there, dude, you know, intubated, trach. I'm not intubated, trach, just the ECMO. Like, he has blood coming out of his uh, suction because his platelets are low, and Right away, I just felt that atmosphere change, man. Even if it's through an iPad, like, you just feel the energy, like, the wife's face, man. Um, like, they talk to you, and you're talking to them, and they they, they, they seem okay. Like, they're fine talking to you because they haven't seen a loved one yet, yeah. you know, with the camera. So you're talking to them, having a normal conversation, you know, the vibes are, are okay. They're a little nervous, but everyone's still calm. They're maybe cracking a joke. They're talking amongst each other, kind of laughing here and there. And then once you flip the iPad, it's just, like, silence. Yeah, it's like holy shit. This is how my loved one looks. This is my husband right now. Yep. Like because no, words can't words can you can't grasp it with words. You have to have a visual aspect of seeing your loved one literally in that bed, especially like seeing that blood and then the, the cannulation site because it was in his neck, right? Yeah, that that's where he's getting perfused because he, you know his lungs are completely shot, mm -hmm. and yeah, that that makes it very hard, man. And how do you react? Well, the wife. Family. The wife was praying, you know, praying, and then she kind of shed a tear. And, you know, they say, you know, come on, like, you got this. You could do it. You're strong. You know, it's like just those words of encouragement, you know. And it's just like you know that this patient's freaking critically ill. Like, he has such a long road ahead. Like, he probably needs a lung transplant because he can't do anything, you know. And But it's just like, you know, they're just fighting on, man. What what else do you have? What, are, what else do you have left if you don't have hope, you know? And that's all that they have because that's – that's that's just good enough, you know. Yeah. It's crazy. He needs a lung, so his lungs are basically they're gonna fail eventually, right? And that yeah, that's what I'm trying to figure out with like with this whole COVID man. It's like these lungs are get are so bad where we're giving them hundred percent on the vent, where they have an ECMO device, meaning they're cannulated, where their lungs aren't working, so their CO two is getting removed artificially, getting pumped back into the blood, and for some reason their, their CO two numbers are still high not improving so that means their alveoli are just completely shot man so 
at this point, what what can you do? You need a lung, man. Yeah, right. You can't live on ECMO for the rest of your life. Because yeah, there's nothing in your body that's doing the gas exchange. Yeah, and if those that don't know, ECMO is literally like your artificial lung. It could be also an artificial heart. In this specific, it's VV, so it's venous to venous. And it's like, yeah, these patients can't move. We have to log rule them. They're cannulated in there for more artery. It's just, it's sad to see. It's sad to see, and it's, it's a mess, and... Like you're like a decently healthy person that has to be put on emergency emergent ECMO doesn't have a good survival yeah. in general. And like imagine you throw COVID nineteen into mix, it's even it's even lower. And keep in mind, this is the perspective of ICU nursing. You know, I understand it in different units. It's just you know you're still putting on the paper and gowning up. But this is just a little aspect of ICU that we're seeing, and it's just it's tough, man. We got patients that lay there for two months. They develop COVID, but meaning. Their, their butt, their sacrum is so compromised, their skin just literally slides off. It's a weird phenomenon. We call it COVID butt. Mm. And it's like, dude, these patients are pooping. They're covered. Their wounds are covered in, um, in poop, and we're trying to clean that up. And, you know, you're switching the dressings two, three times a shift because you're trying to help their butt heal. You're like, you know, the Mepitel, and it's, man, it's freaking tough, dude. It's, if that doesn't scream PTSD to you for some, man, I don't know what, what is, you know? Mm. Sacred wounds are the worst because... Especially if like they're having diarrhea and stuff, they're never going to heal. It's never going to heal. How many times have you had a patient that had a sacral wound, wound on a coccyx or anywhere on, on a butt cheek and it just doesn't heal? You could take off all the pressure you want. It's really hard for you because people have to go to the bathroom. Like, like, they, like they shit. And a lot of our patients unfortunately have diarrhea, you know, because we give them antibiotics, we give them a bunch of medications that, you know, oh, give them diarrhea. And... If it's on your shaker and coccyx and your stool always getting in there, you're always touching it, you're always messing with it, it's not a good wound healing environment. And that's why these get so bad. And they get bad in general. And then, like, let's say with the lungs, where how COVID damages it, same with like, these wounds. For some reason, COVID has, you know, effect on, on slower wound healing. And it just, these wounds progress to, like, very nasty ones. And eventually, you know, yeah. eventually we can't do anything about it. Yeah, and not, they're not stable enough for surgery. Like I, I had a patient with a nasty ass coccyx wound where you could put your whole hand in there, and you know the only way, the only solution for it was surgery. But since he has COVID nineteen and he's on so much medication and you know on full vent support, he's not stable enough for surgery. So it's not gonna get any better. Yeah, and speaking of poop, like a lot of these patients have such low platelets because of what COVID does. Also, if you're on ECMO, it's circulating blood constantly, so that metal fan is technically breaking down your platelets. Um, their platelets are so low, they're bleeding out of nowhere. We can't put a rectal tube in because they're going to bleed out there. Like we had a patient who needed a massive transfusion protocol because of a rectal tube. Yeah. You just nicked their artery, man. Yeah, dude. It's crazy, man. It's and then also I feel like COVID was just a giant experiment. That's Meaning what it feels like sometimes. It's, it it it's still is. I mean, which, which like COVID is a giant experiment on like a giant perspective. Like how, on like a societal perspective, it's experiment in a sense where... If a pandemic were to occur in the U.S., how would we deal with it? Yeah. We we're kind of testing the waters. Masks, lockdowns, we test. That was a giant experiment on a social level. But there's also a giant experiment going on in more of a direct level to, to me and you. We're in the hospital. How to treat it. How to treat it. Because we still don't really have a 100% way to treat it. We're still doing like the remdesivir and then we're doing the, the steroids, um, Heparin usually or Angiomax, like things, things that we're, we're still doing for like standard practice, yeah. but nothing, we don't really have anything definitive that fights the COVID-19. Just like at first, they, um, yeah, you said there was Regeneron tr uh, tr clinical trials, 
And then there was some tr clinical trials with uh, the drug was called Serumvulab, whatever. It was the ILC inhibitor mm -hmm. to see if it try it's, tr it's trying to prevent the uh, that clotting cascade from mm -hmm. happening from the cytokine storm. So they keep testing things. And I think there was another patient that, you know, he, they signed up for a trial and they're testing stem cell research right. on him. They're, they're, you know, giving it IV to see if we could prevent ARDS somehow, maybe mm -hmm. help alveoli get, you know, recruitment again and start perfusing. It, right. it's, it's wild, man. Yeah, even with proning. Like we do proning for, for severe ARDS and we're like, all right, well, let's try for COVID-19. Has it worked for some people? Yeah, has it been very effective? Not really. Even the ventilator settings, one of our physicians was trying to see if a certain ventilator setting worked better for COVID-19 patients compared to another one. But yeah, you know? she, she tried doing bi-level ventilation. So it's probably interesting. It's it's interesting if you're in a hospital where they do research or you're in a, you're a, in a, in a place from a physician standpoint where you, you're allowed to kind of conduct your own trials like that. You know, that's pretty cool. That, like, that's like something that is very interesting. Like yeah. you be able to, and this is not going to come very often. Hopefully it doesn't happen again. But, you know, as time goes on, this is going to be kind of more relevant, yeah, more even, prevalent. Even like vitamin D, I think they started adding vitamin D to and the zinc to like the MAR for patients to mm -hmm. just take daily, correct? Yeah, because like, they added to the, to the uh, CDC guidelines like what, two months ago? That's been over Something two months. Like what about your vitamin D? Uh, winter of 2020, yeah. yeah end so of three months. What's well, February? So probably like two months, right? Three. Somewhat like that. Yeah. And then also like it's interesting seeing these patients on like ECMO, you know? And they need anticoagulation. So at first, when we got these COVID patients, we need to coagulate them. So the standard was heparin, you know, and they still give heparin in some hospitals. But we, we've realized that these these um, heparin causes hemothoraxes sometimes, right? It was causing crazy bleeding. We gave so much oral care to these patients that they were just bleeding out of their fucking mouth. Like, it, <laughs> I'm swearing because it's yeah. so wild. Like, we're just stuffing towels underneath their necks to stop bleeding, and they're just it's just bleeding out of their mouth. Like we can't control it. We're right. giving platelets, but it doesn't matter because the ECMO machine is eating these platelets. Mm. So then we switched over to Angiomax, which is a different type of anticoagulant, and that was a little bit more. It was better than heparin, and it, you know caused less bleeding. Mm. And that's the experiment where we just didn't know how to treat these patients at first, and we kind of just use what we had and we just kept adjusting, man. And we still don't know. Yeah, that's kind of how it goes. Like, you know, patient comes with COVID-19, you know, they're more prone to clotting. So we got to put them on some anticoagulate. So let's go to like the first line is, is heparin. You know, and that's kind of how you figure out what needs to be improved next. You first, you got to tackle, hey, what are we gonna do for COVID-19? So this is your standard standard treatment that we're gonna do. This is the standard practice that we're gonna do. And now because you have a standard practice, great. You have a nice kind of like a baseline. Yeah. But then since we're giving medications and people are going to have adverse effects of these medications. And when you're going given anticoagulations, the number one adverse effect is going to be bleeding. So once you get a baseline of how to, tr how to kind of tackle COVID-19, then you can kind of tackle these other issues that stem from not maybe COVID-19 directly, but from them indirectly. Yeah. Because them having COVID-19 requires them to be on antiplatelet medication or anticoagulations. And then because they're on anticoagulations, now they're bleeding. So now, hey, so we tackle covid 19 uh, coagulation issues now you got to tackle these coagulation issues that are developing because of heparin so now we do angiomax yeah you know? and that's a lot of these patients too it's like right now the patients that are there for maybe a month or two or 20 days like they're not fighting covid really they're just fighting this systematic issue that arose from covid whether it's like you know their their diabetes that were underlying their underlying conditions have caused a lot of issues their hypertension 
right? Where we have decreased wound healing. Now they have pneumonia. So not, they're not dealing with COVID. We're just fighting pneumonia now. Now we're checking blood cultures. Now they have a multi-resistant infection in their blood. Now we're giving antibiotics to that. They're septic because of that, you know, that bacteria. Now their kidneys are given out. And it's like we're always chasing something. And it's not even COVID anymore. It's just these these other opportunistic infections and the things that happen along the way of trying to save you from COVID. Yeah. The problem with society and even like, like ourselves to a certain point is, is we don't really seek help unless we really need it or it changes the way we feel or it disrupts our daily activities. Yeah. Because hypertension, diabetes are silent diseases. You know, you, you can't tell when your sugar is really high. You can't. You, you could be chilling at a sugar of 230, 240, 250, 300, and you could just... For years, probably. For years, and you could just live a normal life. You could go along doing things. You could be hypertensive for five years, four years, not realize it. Yeah, you'll get a headache once in a while. You might feel off once in a while, but you won't know you're hypertensive. Like, like I don't feel... I don't know why my blood pressure is 140. You, you, you don't. And that's the problem is people don't go to see the doctor or they kind of push things aside for too long. And then something like this happens where... It disrupts society and disrupts health, and you're the one that's going to be suffering for it because, unfortunately, you haven't taken the steps to take care of yourself on, on that level. Just, just because, you know, you feel okay every day and, you know, you might have a few bad days in a row and you might hurt yourself here and then, you know, you shouldn't be eating that, but you eat it anyways. You know, you should be doing more exercise, but you're not. And you don't see a doctor every week. You don't see a doctor every month. You don't see a doctor every, every few months, right? There's nobody there consistently telling you to change to change right yeah it's it's your you yourself have to take that action to change the way you eat to change what you eat to change the way you do things imagine if you were required to see a doctor every three months and that doctor told you every three months hey you gotta stop eating junk food hey you gotta exercise you'd be more prone to doing that right compared to seeing a doctor maybe once a year maybe once every two years and, and him telling you hey you have hypertension we're gonna give you his medication and now you see a doctor next year hey you still have hypertension. We we're going to increase your dose. Yeah, and right? it, just, it happens for years on, and people just miss it. And prevention's hard, dude. Like yeah. prevention's super hard. Like if we could find a a good way to instill prevention in mod, in modern society, I feel like we could take society into a whole different level. But we have to create prevention. We have to instill prevention in a in like a subtle way. Yeah, because no one's gonna gonna want to go to a prevention clinic every week, right? It's gonna take too much time. I think it also is gonna come from our leaders, right? Our leaders, aka our representatives of of the people, right? Mm -hmm. They haven't like I was very optimistic with this pandemic at first, like in March, April of twenty twenty. I'm like, wow, this is very self reflecting. I have time for myself, whatever self growth, right? I thought a lot of people are going to wake up and change their ways and and like, hey, these. Like COVID, the reason why it got so bad is probably because of all these underlying conditions that we had in America, the change of our food pyramid in the 1970s, and we have this rise of obesity. If the government were for the people, correct, they would basically implement these things that you mentioned. They would help with prevention medicine. They would tell people that exercise, sleep, and diet is fundamental for us mm. and that we should all have accountability in ourselves. We just can't rely directly on pharmaceuticals and doctors for this. Right. Is that happening? What do you think, Pete? I feel like... <laughs> it's hard, man. It's super hard. I feel like there was definitely people out there that due to COVID-19, they changed their lives for the better. You can notice that at work. There's a few Some. nurses... Yeah, there's, even at work, there's a few nurses that are trying to eat healthier. They're a little older. They're, 
we do see them eat not healthily, but once in a while we see them throw salad in. Yeah, once in a while we do see we do see them eat something healthy, and they they try. They put the effort in, right? That's that's kind of what it is. Like you put the effort in, and then the more often you do it, the more effort you put in, then it becomes a habit. Usually takes like thirty days, like you know, whatever. But at least are try. Some of them are, are trying. Is it as big of a change as me and you would would like it to be? Definitely not. Yeah, and, and that's and that's my problem is that. We always tackle the media because the media is a huge problem in this. They're not tackling the things that we mentioned, sleep, diet, exercise. They're tackling masks, vaccines, things are bad, fear, 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 fear. Trump, of course. They're trying to freaking impeach the dude instead of worrying about real damn issues like people that are unemployed and um, still suffering from this pandemic like small businesses, right? And also, I feel like the government kind of left us hanging too when it comes to the frontline, frontline crew, all the nurses, right? Like... Pandemic started, we got some, you know, glory. A lot of people took Instagram photos. The mm. news kind of made us feel like we're all these this awesome needed crew, and we, we are. But that's it. How come change real changes weren't made? How come changes weren't made to our PPE, to our supplies? Maybe the way hospitals are staffed. Maybe nurses are more stressed out than ever. How can we help the nurses? None of that shit. No. Here's some food. Here's some pizza. But continue doing more with less. Yeah. And that's what's been happening, dude. Like, you know how annoyed I am working a 12-hour shift, constantly looking for things, glucometers missing. Okay, it's the weekend. Now, there's less supplies. I don't have the the uh, proper dre- uh, dressing that I have to put on my wound. Now, I got to freaking put two different little dressings. Now, my wound is a little bit exposed. Little stress that ad- that adds on daily on my shifts because of lack of supply and rac- lack of, like, you know... Lack of, I don't know, how, how would I say it? Properly, st- not staffing, but giving enough f- focus onto the front line. And it makes, and it would seem more upsetting because like we're in the ICU. So we like our control. Yeah. And that one dressing not being there, dressing that, that you always use because it works the best, that not being there, it just agitates you that much more compared to being on a floor where you kind of be, be more lenient, you know? Right. Because, because yeah, because the big part of why people go to ICU is because they like to control. We like to control blood pressure. We like, we like to have our patient the way we want them to be, you know, we want everything to be, to be, to be crisp, to be on point, you know, we want the blood pressure between this and this and all that jazz. And that one dressing, it might not seem like a big deal to a lot, but it, just, it could just piss you off a little bit, right? you know, and it's super annoying. And that, the staffing, I, I don't understand why staffing is such, such an issue, even here in California, because we're still short staffed in, in yes, our, in our unit. Is it because there's a shortage of nurses? That's what I, I never understood. I feel like there's so many nurses out there looking for jobs and yet like we're still short staffed. Is there really not enough nurses to staff these, these positions? Like, what's like, I, I think it's I more it's, it's stuff. from a cost perspective, dude. Yeah. If if business, because hospitals are businesses, right? If they have these quotes, these standards, do you remember like if you like got rid of two patients, they sent you home and they shorted you mm-hmm. to keep staffing? Like they they have their, they, you know, they have their fiscal years and they have this criteria to meet how many nurses could be staffed. Right. And that's it. Yeah. That have to be that has to be changed. Maybe you need some funding from a government to change that. I'm not you know an expert in that field. But we need some change, bro. Yeah, they want to keep nurses safe and units safe, but with a cost. It's you know, it's fucking it's crazy, unsafe dude. right now. Let me tell you that right now. I don't care if we could argue that. It's completely unsafe. It's the wild west in nursing right now. Yeah, I just wonder how it is because we're here in California and, you know, it's a lot better here than in other places. Other places. So imagine if, if we're struggling. I mean, I don't know. If, I, don't know if, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say we're struggling, but it's, it's, pretty, it's a little harder here than it used to be. 
And imagine how it is in other hospitals yeah. in like Texas and Florida where they don't have these mandated ratios and aren't aren't as strict with the with the nursing laws. See, so we're coping well, right? Like we're doing just fine. We have this podcast that kind of puts our energy away from our emotional energy away from, you know, the hospital and what's happening, right? Like COVID. But like some nurses, they're struggling emotionally. I that that's another thing during this pandemic that um, we've been seeing. These nurses are they have PTSD. They're stressed out. They're burnt out. They're missing shifts. They're calling in. Um, they're they're even complaining to management. And, you know, a lot of nurses feel like management's not looking out for them. Mm. Uh, they feel like, you know, it's an emotional burden for them. They take it really hard to the heart. There's a few nurses on our unit that, that are literally everything is taken to the heart. The slightest thing, even if it's not under control, they take it to the heart. Like they, they feel like they failed their patient. Right. It's like, you know, there was a patient that the nurse got on shift and he started having dark starry tools, meaning he's either bleeding internally and it's that's why it's black or it's old, right? But right away she took it, oh my God, every single time I pick up a shift, I have a patient, something like this happens, you know? And, and they're internalizing it way too much. Mm. It's hard. Like, luckily, Matt and I, we have a really good work-life balance where it doesn't affect us. Like, don't get me wrong. There's times where, where you know, I have a patient and it really it hits me. But I feel like I get over it within, like, the next day. Maybe I'll take it home with me for the day. I'll go for a walk, you know, um, hang out for a little bit, like, think about it, you know, be sad for X amount of hours. But then I eventually get over it, you know. It doesn't take me very long. Like I said, maybe a day. But there's nurses that are constantly in it, outside of work, inside of work. Just yeah. think about their patients, like, hey, then what have I done this? I should have done this. Why did it happen? And then there was even talks at one point during huddle that having the same patient for three shifts in a row isn't isn't a good idea because that's how bad that's how badly it was emotionally for some of these nurses to be with the same patient for three days, taking care of them, which is supposed to be more beneficial because you have the continuum of care. Yes. They were getting so emotionally hurt and emotionally attached and emotionally invested into this patient where it became unhealthy. It was healthier to break up the patient, the patient care to somebody else. Yeah, just so they don't build that emotional tie with them. And and it sucks. You know, you have this patient that was there for, you know, two months. He's doing really good. He started talking. He's off the ventilator. He has a trach. He's able to finally communicate, say his words. He's finally able to grab his hands. You have you have no idea, guys, what a positive experience it is finally having a patient that follows commands in the ICU that nods their head if they're in pain because it, it feels human again. Mm. And then all of a sudden you come back to next to work, you tell the family how how great he's doing, then he codes. Right. And you, yeah, man, people just internalize it. And that's one thing I've realized that even with this pandemic, we we can't internalize it so much. We have to take things away. We need that emotional off switch where we need to properly cope with stress. You have to do, you know, something positive for yourself every single day and, and take things away, you know. Let's just say something shitty happens at work. Acknowledge those feelings, right? It sucks, mm -hmm. right? See how that feels, but continue because you can't let life like that drag you down, dude, because it's, it's going to make you depressed, literally. Yeah, the hardest shifts in, in nursing I've had was 100% when when I've had a pa the same patient for three shifts in a row or the same patient for, you know, two weeks or three weeks or, or the month they's in the hospital, and they just don't get any better. Like, they just that's, keep declining. They just keep declining, and you're there for the whole decline. You're just like, dude, I'm doing, I'm starting new drips one day. Next next shift, I'm giving blood. Next next shift, I'm trying to reverse the Coumadin because it had an adverse effect with, with the medication. So every day you're doing something and you're working a whole shift and everything that you're doing, it's just decline, decline, decline. 
Yeah. And just like, dude, like you feel hopeless and you feel almost like worthless. Yeah, it causes like, you to here, be negative. Right. Like I'm here, I'm, I'm a nurse and my number one goal at night shift and becoming a nurse is to help people and to make them better. And I can't do any of those roles. And I can't even talk to this dude. And it's just, it just takes a giant toll because there's literally nothing in your power. And you're doing so much stuff in those three nights that you have him. It's, you're continuously doing stuff and it just doesn't improve anything. Yeah. And you're just like, damn, shit, like fuck my life. And then you have those times where you have him for three in a row, you're off and you get him back and you help and you, you're doing your nursing care, you're taking care of business and you get a little better. You're like, okay, for sure, maybe he's turning around and you come back next shift and he's down, going down oh, the sure whole thing. Just like, you're just like, God damn, dude, he was doing a little bit better. I thought, you know, we're, gonna, we're improving him and then you're back and damn, next day, back down the toilet. You're just like, fuck, dude. Like, I kept doing, I'm doing everything that I can in my powers. I'm literally doing everything and he, he gets a little bit better. We get excited. Physicians get excited. All right, we're going to change up, change up the, the, the treatment plan. We're going to change up the, the treatment that we're doing. We're going to give him different medication and next day, bam, down the shitter. You're just like, fuck. Dude. Right. And now let's add management where a lot of nurses don't feel support from their management, right? Like they're just left hanging mm. and add both of those stresses. Yeah. It's like, dude, why do you want to even work at the hospital, man? We had some nurses there, new grads that don't want to do bedside nursing. They want to just take a little break and see what else is there. Mm. Not everybody could handle it, man. Yeah. Like regarding management, like I've never had a bad experience with any management. It's probably because I do nights. And you don't really have that communication with management. Yeah. How often do you talk to your man manager? Rarely. Maybe, you know, he brings up a, a point of, of something that wasn't done or something that we're changing or something you got to do differently or just have a really quick little conversation with him about something. That's about it. Yeah. You don't see him every day, so you don't have that, that interaction with him. Yeah, but see, we're, we're both dudes, right? Mm. We care less about this. Yeah. We are travelers, so we're out of the politics. But, but even in my prior staff, hospital. Yeah, but staff nurses, you know, the, the, and then we see that as an example in our hospital. What, what they're going through, how there's this whole day shift, night shift dilemma. They're just, you know, tied up in drama. Mm. This is happening, that's happening. Why do I have this patient? You know, oh, I can't switch days. Oh, this is, you know what I mean? There's right. always things being added on and they, they don't feel, if you don't feel like love from your leaders, you're going to fall apart, man. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, like a lone, it's like a lone wolf situation and everybody's just out their own fighting every single shift trying to survive and make it yeah it's, it's not rough, sustainable dude. dude you know what's really annoying too man with 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 this whole COVID 19 is just the amount of gowning you got to do like gone on gone off put the pap around put the n95 on like that just gets super annoying dude yeah and yeah like cluster care is really good and during COVID 19 we're doing like super cluster care because dude it's 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 rough gowning up gowning on and then being in that gown and a papper for in a room and sometimes you know you're in that room for for an hour giving a bath dude there's been a handful of times where where i gave it a gave a patient a bath and then i i realized i set him up and all i see is him legging shit again i'm just like damn it i gotta change him again and sometimes you're, you're in that room for like hour hour and a half sweating dude like you, your nose is starting to itch you know and it's there's the nowhere worst. to help you're just like damn i just clean this guy up change the sheets and now dude i put the chuck a little too high and now i gotta change the chuck and the sheets again and just like damn dude and sometimes i'm not gonna lie sometimes you know J j just that fact that I have to gown up and, and gown on and be there in that patient's room for for a while, for a while I kind of, you know, it's gonna sound kind of shitty. I kind of put that like to the side for a little bit. You have like, to, like you know, bro. like I don't go in the in the room as quickly as as I would if it was a normal room, you know, yeah. because you kind of gotta you gotta you gotta cluster more because yeah. you do have two patients in the ICU and they're both really sick, so you can't be in one room for an hour, hour and a half because who the hell knows what's gonna happen to your other patient? Plus, you're you know? putting yourself at risk. 
Touch point shelf arrest. But we talked about this more, like a little bit ago, where our patients are intubated, sedated, and their spread for COVID-19 is, is really low if you think about it because it's a closed system. Yeah, plus it's a negative pressure negative, room. And it's a negative pressure room. So if that were to pop off, if the if they're to pop off the vent and, you know, exhale and enter and inhale and, you know, breathe, yeah, I'd probably get infected. But if I was not, say, I was, if I was not wearing N95. Yeah. But I have to be, be pretty close to them, you know, because and I, cause the negative pressure room would supposedly be able to you know, combat that that yeah. aerosolization and stuff. Speaking of being in the rooms, I think that's another thing that's difficult. Is on top of gowning is the lack of resources. Where you're in this room, you know, like back in the day, last year, right? Hey, Pete, come help me. Give me a quick turn. Boom, you hop in the room. Quick turn, no big deal. Now it's such a process. Sometimes you feel bad asking another nurse to come in because it's you know they they have shit to do. Right. So you're there alone in the room doing a lot of care. You're trying to turn and manipulate stuff a pillow. Like we're prone for injury now too, man. My back, super prone. Putting super prone. putting this you know those little slippers, the little booties for the mm. shoes. God damn, you know how much times I almost busted my shit. You almost did too Dude, with those yo, booties. I, I had a sprained ankle at work, and I went, made it worse with those booties, so I don't wear the booties anymore. Yeah. Like, dude, those are slippery, man. Like, it's scary, man. Yeah, it's scary. I'd rather have dirty shoes at that point. Yeah. And plus, we wouldn't wear our shoes to work. We don't... We have work-devoted shoes. Um, and then... I forgot what I was going to mention. Oh, yeah. With the, with the whole injuries, prone to injuries, I have never done this much bathing, patient care, turns, adjustments by myself ever. Because I just... Sometimes, you know, you... You go in there and the patient looks, you know, not too heavy. And you're just like, damn, they're heavier than, than they look. Yep. You know, and then you go outside, turn around and, you know, nurses are in the room. There's no runners. Just like, damn, well, I guess I got to Nilberg him and just pull him up myself, you know. And that's that's what I've been doing because everyone's so so busy. Dude. How much yeah, How much times have I done it where I just clear my lines? I go to the front of the bed and I'm just trying to drag my yeah. patient down the middle a little bit higher in bed. Because normally we go side by side and there's just no help. There's no help. Yeah. So you got to do Trinellaberg, have them slanted on, on an angle so it's, you know, easier for you, to, for you to pull them. And then that's it. Like, and it's like, there's been times where we're at work, probably like, I want to say last week where I had two patients and they're both pretty heavy, but not heavy enough where I need help. But just heavy enough where, you know, you're definitely getting a workout and when you're boosting them and turning them. And then I, I, after that shift, I took a break from the gym. I was like, I'm not going to work out today because I'm, I'm exhausted physically. Right. Just like you mentioned, man, putting these gowns on. Like, guys, I walk out of my room sometimes and my all of my hairs on my arms are just, like, covered in sweat. Yeah. Because you just, can't wear a gray shirt to work. You cannot wear gray. Yeah. Gray shirts, no. If you were, if I wore, no whites. If I wore a gray shirt and a gray pants, if I wore a, a gray colored scrub set, dude, People would think I'm I'm pissing out of my ass, dude. Like a I bunch have bunch of swass everywhere. Yeah, first of all, I, I get swass all the time, especially if I'm on, if I'm on caffeine. It was funny because we wear our our scrub clothes are like green or whatever, like, like green. And then I remember one day I drank a lot of coffee, and you know the beginning of my shift wasn't super busy, so I was sitting, and like I, I knew I had swass, so I was well, at a wet swass just for people that don't know. Swass is a sweaty ass when you <laughs> when you wear certain certain color color pants. And you get sweat sweat on your ass. It bleeds through your underwear, and then you can see the sweat on the, on the behind of your of bleeds your through, bro. Pants. Pinion yeah. in a tampon. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. An ass ass pot at this point, you know. Oh. And one day, like it was, it was super busy, so I was kind of hanging out for like the first like half hour. You know, I, I was able to kind of relax, look at my notes, and I was sitting, and I was I was hot. Like I I felt like I was hot. Plus, I was wearing a long sleeve underneath because you know I have tattoos, and I don't want to always, always show them. And then, plus, I was wearing, wearing that underneath and a T-shirt, and I was sitting down, and I was drink, drinking coffee, so I was hot. And I knew I was getting swashed. I just didn't know it was that bad. So I decided to get up, walk around, and then my, 
one of the under, the targets is like, "Hey Peter, did you sign something wet? Because your butt's wet." I'm just like, ah. I was like, "No, nah, it's probably just my swass," you know. And That's I was like, "Damn!" Funny. I went to like the bathroom in the mirror. I'm just like, "Yeah, you, this is definitely noticeable swass, dude." I'm gonna tell people that I signed something wet in that case. And it was, it was just funny. It's a little, this it's a little like, embarrassing, but it, it's part of the... This was like two months in, you know? And, and she laughed at me, and I was like, ah, you know what I was supposed to do? It's the worst, bro. Speaking of swass, like, that's the worst where, like, you just had, like, a bunch of caffeine, and you're you're heated, or you just came out of the room, and your body's just, you know, mm. hot, and you sit on one of those, like, leather rubbery chairs, and when you sit down, there's, like, this, you know, nice little imprint of, mm. like, butt cheeks. Yeah, it's so funny. Did <laughs> you see me coming out of, a, out of a COVID room, and I'm standing on the computer, it, it means I'm, I'm warm, and I probably have sweat, so I can't sit down. You can't dude. sit down, man. You gotta yeah. let your body cool down. Yeah, yeah because oh. as a nurse, you, you're on your feet all day. Like, you don't sit in a patient's room. Like, you walk around nonstop, so when you chart, that's your chance for to sit down, and usually I chart sitting down, but if I'm charting standing up, it's because I have sweat, and I can't sit down, because yeah. then I gotta... It's gonna be an imprint. You we know? all know, man. I'll point it out next time, money, man. <laughs> yeah. It's also wild. Like a couple of days ago, we had a uh, a nurse. He's a travel nurse, but like within one hour, both of his patients died. Mm. Imagine that feeling. Like he 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 managed well, you know. But imagine having like a female, be, uh, like one of those like coworkers are very emotional. Like, dude, that that that's hard, man. Yeah. Like I have never bodied so many patients in my life till COVID. Right. Imagine if one of our more emotional coworkers had had that had that pair. Oh what? With yes, one of our yes. warm, so and, and, you know, and you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, Dude, she'd probably like she'd probably cry. She'd for sure cry. She probably wouldn't know what to do. She'd probably take like like a like an emotional break for yeah, sure. Imagining, it's tough. You know, I know how to bag my patients with my eyes closed. As effed up as that sounds, yeah, And those patients that did pass away, I've had them. I had those prior, and like one was doing better, and and low key, like he, he was improving. And it was one of those things where. My dumbass went to a room, tried to be, you know, an extra nurse. Let's give him one more turn. And because the thing is, and I'm sorry, I, I, don't, I don't mean to laugh or anything. It's just, it's, uh, it's funny it's, looking it's a bad back predicament. at it. Yeah, yeah. but this is kind of goofy looking back at it where um, all night. So sometimes with, with these patients, the guy had two chest tubes and the nurse during days told me, hey, he doesn't like to be turned on one side. He doesn't do very well on one side. So I was like, okay, for sure. I want to turn on that side. So I was laying him flat and on the other side, the majority of, of the shift going back and forth. But then at like six o'clock came by. And I'm just like, I was kind of curious. I'm like, damn, I've only been doing him. On, I've only been turning him on two sides. I wonder if, you know, if he's still going to, you know, crash if I put him on, on the other side. And so I put him on the other side at like 6.15, 6.30. And then we couldn't get his stats up. We started crashing. Shut I'm just up. like, fuck my life. So I'm right here, before he changed his shift. Right before he huh? changed his shift. So I'm just like, damn, fuck. F, F my life, dude. Like I was, he was getting better, dude. He was getting better. Sats, sats, sats were good. We added the... The, the flow vent, he was improving. And then I had to go in there right before I, I, I left to stir some shit up when I was told not to, try to not to put him on that side. But I had to like, I had to see for myself if it's going to be, to, like, if it's actually going to happen. Yeah, and it you did. Know? And it unfortunately did, but um, I took a gamble. And I mean, I don't feel like, I, I, I don't feel like I'm the one that killed him or anything like that. You know, he was just still alive and he passed away, you know, a few days after that. But like me doing that turn, that wasn't the cause of of him of him deteriorating and dying. You know, it was just it was gonna happen eventually. Yeah, but you know, but some nurses right. can internalize it like that. Exactly. And you're like, oh my gosh, if I didn't put that pill there, he would have been fine. Right. And they just take it to heart like that, and that's what that's what messes them mm -hmm. up. And then right. they go home about this and they think about this. What could I have done differently? Why didn't I do that? Wow, I'm so stupid. Right. It's that negative talk, man. Yeah, yeah. and it's it's just how smart it happened. It just shows you how fragile life is, where literally. Putting a pillow under someone's back on one side can drastically 
drastically perpetuate their decline. Yeah, I, I have two great quotes from NBC mm -hmm. News from like frontline warrior stuff that I have in here that I should read off. Things pretty um powerful. One of them is just imagine having to make decisions every day on whether you're going to fulfill your professional obligation to take care of of patients versus sacrificing your personal safety or even that of your family because you're in a situation where you don't have adequate resources, mm -hmm. right? That, that's one of them. And then think about this perspective. We didn't sign up to be sacrificial lambs. We didn't sign up to fight a deadly disease without adequate resources. We were told we are soldiers. Well, you don't send soldiers to a war without a gun and expect them to do their job. But you are doing that to us. And that's exactly how it's been, you know, kind of felt during this pandemic is just like, dude, we just were in this war with COVID and it's like straight up out of a freaking movie, like in those movies where it's like quarantine and everybody's kind of like sick, that Ebola situation almost right in movies, mm -hmm. yet we don't have adequate resources and the government's just looking the other way during this time, yeah. I feel like. They're more focused on, you know trump's lawyer case or whatever dude and well like, people they are needed they shit. needed us when they needed us yeah, which was to kind of blow this up a little bit yeah. and they did and they used the whole oh my god a 95 and my you know lips are i mean my face is bruised and all that they used it right. for for that just to show how bad it is but that's all did they help no and same with the vaccines you know who gets them first the frontline warriors the frontline workers get them first you know yeah you guys get them work you guys get the vaccine first because you guys are taking care of them we got some hype for that too we got hyped in the beginning of COVID during unknown times, and we got hyped, you know, mid-COVID with all the stuff that we're doing, and now we got hyped during the vaccine. It's just, just, to, just to kind of make us, just just when we're going down and we're trying to, you know, st like start fighting back and start kind of pushing our way, they give us a little bit of, a more of a push up. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it's, it's just how it is. I mean, maybe now people will be more inclined to push for better, better patient ratios because we've seen the the negative effects and we've seen how dangerous and how hard it is to work without without ratios. So maybe these states that didn't have ratios or that weren't as prevalent as they are in California, they might start pushing for them now. But what's gonna happen post COVID nineteen if so look, with COVID nineteen was also like a giant nursing experiment too, to see how much work nurses could how much work can we add to nurses until they reach a breaking point. And that's gonna be point. that's gonna be the gauge for staffing. Like, hey, you guys were able to deal with this during COVID. Now it's not COVID. You should be able to do, deal with it easier because they're not as sick. I hope it's not gonna be that kind of bullshit. Oh, better not, man. You know, like, hey, you, you guys, you guys did it during COVID nineteen, and it was a lot harder. Now there's no, now there's no COVID nineteen. It should be a little bit easier, shouldn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, no shit. But the workload is still the same. You're just putting a different name on it. And, and that's why, like, the next episode when we talk about like, you know, what we want to do with couple nurses. Like, yeah, man, we need to like start having a voice for nurses. We need like real. We need to implement real change. Yeah. It can't be change on social media of like, you know, this is tough. Oh, my God. But like, that's it. Because that's that victim mentality, right? We just get recognized for our hard work and that's it. Mm -hmm. There's no real laws or, you know, things in place. Even patient ratios, like let's just say, for example, Illinois. Why wasn't it changed? Because the American Hospital Association was lobbying to prevent patient ratios for nurses. Why? Because it's not costly right they, they can't money. fit it in budget mm -hmm. yeah uh -huh. but the ceos are still getting these, these nice nice paychecks of six figures seven figures you know they're they can't take a pay cut you know the ceos can't take a pay cut you know the ceos get paid mad amount of money 
Yep. You're saying you can't downgrade your lifestyle from, let's say if you make 5 million, you can't downgrade your lifestyle from 5 million to like 4.8 or 4.5 for the, the benefit of society and benefit for your hospital. Like how does that make any kind of sense? It's yeah. so weird, dude. And, and, and I'm not saying we should go and like strike and leave out of the hospital and not have patients take care of, but that's the power that we have. And when you nurses unite, they, they, they should be able to feel that out where we are tired of this. This is enough. We need change, and it, it stops now. We need we need that voice. Yeah, Peter, we need to be the leaders. The Are you is, ready? Nursing is Are always, you ready? <laughs> nursing is hard because, like, if you're like a plumber or an electrician, you could you could all leave and and strike on your job, and no one's gonna really die directly from a result. As nurses, if me and Matt were to say, "Hey, we're not we don't like this the situation that we're in. We don't like the ratios. We don't like how this unit's being run. We're gonna leave. We're gonna strike." Well, guess what? We're making that unit two nurses short. If you make that two nurses two nurse, two nurse short, people might die. If a whole unit yeah. of nurses leave, that whole unit's going to die. Yeah. Pete, that's the freaking problem, yeah. though. The problem yeah. is, is that these people, these higher managements, they know, they that, know that nurses have their license on the line. Yeah. Patients' leave. lives are on our hands, and our license depends on it. Therefore, we always take so much shit because we know that this, like, dude, as a nurse, you're never going to want to jeopardize a patient's life. Right. So what do you do? You always do more with less. Right. You always get the shorter than the stick. For how much longer? Yeah. Yeah. Shit it's pisses crazy. me off, dude. It does. So I'm saying hopefully after this whole COVID-19, people realize, maybe management realizes, hey, dude, like maybe we should staff accordingly. Maybe we should not think about the money as much and we should maybe staff these units appropriately, dude. Because as nurses, it's like they, we're very compassionate. We're very passionate about what we do. And our number one goal when we enter work is our focus goes from focusing on, on us, on our external life, on our friends, our family. And it goes 100% flips to just the patient. Yeah. It's just the patient. And that's literally all that I'm thinking about for, for that shift. And, and that's very easy to take advantage of. Because there's no way in hell I'm going to walk out and protest or walk out and do anything during that shift. Like I like I I won't like it's it's no matter how much you throw no matter what you throw at me no matter how busy my shift gets I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say hey this is too much and leave right because it's not because the the fact of the matter is it doesn't affect my life when I leave it's gonna affect the patient's life yeah and that's the crazy thing about it is we're so selfless at work is that you're willing to sacrifice your life you're willing to sacrifice your mental health your physical health to help that patient out and we have exact we've done exactly that yeah. and burnout is you devoting your your whole shift to these patients and you doing that consistently day in day out and that patient dies yeah that's that's like the key burnout is that these lack of ratios that requires you to take the, the burden and not only are you taking an emotional burden for the patient because the patient can't talk to you you can't he can't express himself so even though he can't express himself and he can't tell you how he's emotionally, you feel that energy in the room and that energy you, you take in. Yeah. You know, you take in that patient's feelings even though he can't explain them to you. And same with the family. They're also dealing with family and you're getting feelings from them. And you're, you're not having your feelings anymore. It's not, it's you, it's not you at the hospital. It's just, it's just your body is there, but it's not your personality. It's not your mind. It's just like the thoughts that go through your head is just a composition of everything that's going on in the hospital at that point in time. That's deep, dog. And that's that's how selfless we are in the hospital. Yeah, nurse, nursing is a weird profession where just like you said, you just take away your whole life is put away somewhere else and you're here with that patient for 12 hours. It's such it. a weird experience. 
Yeah. You don't give a shit about yourself. You're, yep. ho you're holding your urine in. You're not peeing. You're not drinking enough water, so now your urine is yellow. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? You're not eating. You're hungry. Oh, there's no breaks. Shit, I didn't eat for six hours sometimes, beginning of my mm -hmm. shift. No, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's just yeah. Where where do we where are these boundaries, man? And as a, as a leader, looking at it, and maybe your manager, you're listening to this. It's like buying food for nurses is not the solution. You're you're just kind of giving us a little dopamine rush while we're in this shit while we're in this pile mess that we can't get out of that we have to somehow it's a pandemic i get it. it's going to be rough right but things could be a lot better if we handled it properly from a government standpoint from a leadership standpoint in the hospital and from ourselves right from taking accountability from not taking things so emotionally right so it's even like drama in the workplace right it all stems from the the values that you have onto yourself and you project that as a perception into the hospital setting, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So if you're a dramatic uh, person, you're gonna always be seeking drama in the workplace because that's all you know. You're just, you know the familiar. The familiar yeah. is good to you. Yeah, and that's we, true, dude. And we've been so adapted to this familiar, which is a stress. And we as nurses haven't said shit about it because it's our familiar. This yeah. is nursing. It is supposed to be rough. That's fortunately a bad coping mechanism, but. This is how it is sometimes, man. So, yeah, and I feel like we, we are where we are with nursing because of everything that's happening. And we have to quit that bullshit of, oh, this is just how nursing is. It's rough. No, we need some freaking proper change, dude. Just like an older patient, right? They always tell us if an, an older patient, I'm sorry, let me reword this. It is not normal for an older patient to be experiencing pain. Just because you get older doesn't mean you're going to ha start having pain. We, we have to treat that. So just because nursing is rough doesn't mean it always has to be. Mm -hmm. We have to just do problem implementations. Right. I don't know if you want to start a nursing association and start changing some stuff because goddamn. The couple nurses association. We need to. See you Appreciate that, huh? It's been, it's been an amazing episode. I've, I've enjoyed these conversations. Thank you guys for listening on this live stream. I see some viewers there. Some comments. Yeah, Larry, we'll fix the, the the screen next time. Maybe we'll just use a plain one. Zoom it in. And he said socks. Do you want me to have some um, Yeezys on or something? Some some nice shoes? Uh, we, we're in the house, right? So... Um, we, don't wear, get, we don't wear shoes inside. We don't wear, yeah, we don't wear shoes inside the house. It's like a, it's the way I was raised as Polish a, as a Polish person, Polish culture. Yeah, where we always take off shoes at the front of the door, and this is like the sanctuary. So we never had shoes on, yeah. unless we have a studio. You know what I'm saying? Coming yeah, soon, matter. sometime, 2021 maybe. maybe, maybe. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you for tuning in. Our first live stream. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed it. More coming up in the future. I'm trying to get this weekly. We'll see if we can do. We could do it for sure, and we will. Yeah. Peace out, guys.